This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Ethiopian government uh, put together a plan to unite all of the paramilitary and militia forces from these 11 regions under one presidential decree and under a centralized leadership. This led to uh, fighting between the factions in the Tigray regions in the north of the country, uh, starting in the end of 2021, going all the way through to uh, the end of 2022. Uh, this battle led to widespread famine and genocide, killing over 600,000 people over the course of the two-year war. Now, at the same time, I understand the need to focus on Ukraine and all the fighting going on there, but we've got an almost no Western attention on the Tigray War uh, in East Africa. And the, the only reason we're getting any attention on the Sudanese conflict currently is because Western nations have begun the process of pulling out their diplomats. Uh, we saw emergency flights leaving that country. Over 1,000 Americans at this point in time have been evacuated from Sudan. Uh, there are uh, estimated 16,000 Americans in country who have been told since the last summer to try to flee that area. And as a result of this, we're finding, uh, we're, we're finding it very difficult to find out who are the international players uh, who have both been manipulating the uh, actions in both in Ethiopia in the last two years and now in Sudan, as the, this area remains war-torn. The reason this is significant to you and the reason you pay, should pay attention to this is this may be the first water war of the 21st century. Uh, a big part of what is vitiating this uh, violence and conflict is Egypt, which lies to the north of both uh, Sudan and to Ethiopia, because they're at the mouth of the Nile. Ethiopia instituted and began the construction of a dam on the Blue Nile, uh, which would have uh, uh, impacted water supplies downstream in Egypt. Uh, as a result of this, many believe that it was indeed the Ethiopian or the Egyptian government that was funding the Tigray uh, rebels and causing much of the conflict. Additionally, uh, in that same area in the Horn of Africa, well, we have seen the, the nation of Djibouti become all but a military staging ground for many of the world powers. 
powers. We have China, who is building a deep water port uh, in Djibouti in order to uh, uh, maintain and project power within the region. The U.S., of course, has forces stationed there, as well as France, Great Britain, and Russia. Uh, and speaking of Russia, we've, again, talking about what's going on in Ukraine, we've seen Wagner Group mercenaries on the ground, both in Sudan and in Ethiopia, during the course of both of these conflicts, leading many people on the ground to believe that, as opposed to this simply being a civil war uh, in both of these countries, that rather they are being manipulated and sponsored and supported by outside powers. And how have U.S. politicians responded uh, to both of these, uh, uh, both of these uh, interactions? Well, Don Jr., President Trump's uh, eldest son uh, tweeted out after President Biden announced that he was going to be evacuating uh, U.S. diplomats from Sudan, why are we doing these things in shithole countries? That is the way the Republican Party considers uh, violence and warfare in East Africa, even though much of this is being sponsored and continued by the Western powers. They've not, never heard anyone talk about Ukraine as being a quote-unquote shithole country uh, or being a war-torn area, but it's because of these Western, uh, the interference of Western governments and the interference of the world superpowers in this very strategically important region that we're, see, uh, we're seeing this warfare taking place. Place. And think about what uh, what exists right here in the Horn of Africa, uh, 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 right on the border of the Red Sea. When you come through the Suez Canal, you go through the Red Sea, you pass Egypt, you pass Sudan, you pass Ethi uh, Ethiopia. So controlling those areas is crucial to, to every modern nation, because if you control those shipping lanes, you control the entire Indo-Pacific region, particularly a nation like China, as we said, who is building a deep water port in, the, uh, port in that area. Uh, nearly 90 percent of their fossil uh, their fossil fuel, so it's oil, natural gas, comes through these. Uh, either the Suez Canal or through the Straits of Hormuz. They want to have control of that because uh, a loss of control in that area will result in a loss of a large portion of their ability to supply energy to their country. Additionally, on the other side of the Red Sea from, the, uh, from this, you have Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia who recently made an agreement with Iran, which was negotiated by the Chinese government in Beijing, uh, to end their decades-long civil war. However, uh, as a result of this, they have a strategic interest in controlling this region also. So, as has happened for the last 500 years, Africa is very much at the whims of international powers, international groups. And it's not those groups who have people dying on the ground. It's not those groups who are uh, interested or care about what's happening to the people. They only care about the resources in those regions. And when we talk about the uh, the fighting and the quote-unquote war-torn countries, these countries aren't just war-torn because people feel like fighting. They're war-torn because you have outside actors bringing in weapons, bringing in turmoil, splitting up the nation because they understand and just as we saw in Vietnam, just as we saw in Korea, just as we saw in uh, Angola and around the rest of the world during the period of decolonization, that the control of the resources of Africa is what truthfully maintains the international uh, community's uh, ability to control their economies. So what we're seeing is not simply a regional conflict. Rather, it is a proxy war between many of the leading powers of the world.
because they understand that controlling those regions is tantamount to controlling the entire Indo-Pacific. When you're talking about what we're uh, the ongoing battle between the United States and this soft war with China, it is happening right now in Sudan. It is happening right now in Ethiopia. Uh, you combine this with what we're seeing uh, climate-wise, where places like Uruguay and, uh, and Eritrea and even parts of Kenya are in a severe drought condition. You have people in the West who have no interest in doing anything about climate change, but as the industrialization and the pollution from Western nations and now uh, industrializing countries such as China and India that are driving the support of climate change, that is destroying communities, that are destroying ecosystems in East Africa. And then we blame them for starving. We blame them for being war-torn. We blame them for the conditions in their own, uh, their own homelands, when in truth, it is because these European nations have never stopped scrambling for Africa. They have never stopped scrambling for control of those regions. And this is why it's crucial that we as African Americans here put pressure on our government to actually put in policies that will help uplift those countries, to uplift those peoples, to instill the types of democratic reforms that we claim that we care about. Uh, as opposed to simply using them as a proxy military force. Um, there were congressional hearings this week where we, uh, where the U.S. military uh, admitted in congressional hearings that we have upwards of 50,000 uh, trained African soldiers on the continent right now. But that doesn't make the headline news. We hear about Ron DeSantis suing Mickey Mouse. We hear about Donald Trump being indicted because of his porn stars and prostitutes. But 600,000 people in Ethiopia died in two years and did not make a blip on the news. And that's not their fault. It's our fault for not demanding better. But now that we know better, we have to do better and we have to demand better. We're going to talk more about this after the break. Uh, you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Black Star Network is a real um, revolutionary right now. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America. All the momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? I lost my daughter. I didn't know where she was. So I had to figure out how to survive, how to eat, how to live. I don't want to go into to the Got details because she's here, first of all. She may not want me telling that story. But uh, um, possession of her, we, the family broke down, fell apart. I was homeless. Uh, I had to figure out I, I didn't have a manager or an agent or anybody anymore, and I'm the talent. <laughs> so I got to figure out how to be the agent. And mm. I had to figure out how does business work. everybody it's your girl Lunell. so what's up this is your boy earthquake hi i'm chaley rose and you're watching roland martin unfiltered
Welcome back. I'm Turner Robert Patel, still here for Roland Martin. We're going to continue this conversation about the ongoing situation in East Africa. Bringing in our panel today, we have Dr. Julianne Malvo, Dean of the College of Ethnic Studies, California State University, LA, as well as Dr. Omakongo Dabinga, Senior Professional Lecturer of the School of International Services, American University. Thank both of you so much for joining us this evening. I want to start with you, Dr. Dabinga. So the situation in East Africa, as I said, we, we've concentrated so much on this war in the Ukraine, uh, which, of course, is a, you know, human rights and a civil and everything else, uh, a horrible situation. But at the same time, this Tigray rebellion that, we're see, uh, that we saw in Ethiopia, which still is not fully settled, over 600,000 people died, and we did not get a peep out of U.S. media on or any coverage. And at the same time, in this situation in Sudan, though they're still doing this trauma porn for Africa, where it's like, oh, those poor war-torn East Africans can't control anything. Instead of talking about the level of international influence in this geostrategic location, uh, can you talk a bit about why we do not concentrate on the ongoing situations in Africa unless it's through the lens of Europeans and the lens of, uh, of the American military industrial complex? Well, you made so many great points. I'm just now, as well as before going into the break, one of the things I say in my song about uh, Congo is that the Congo's so poor because it's so rich all the minerals and the whole world, they want it. When you go back as far as the, you know, the 1800s and you look at things like the, the red rubber and in the early 1900s where people were getting, you know, exploiting places in, in Central Africa, particularly the Congo for, for bicycle tires, for companies like Dunlop and the like, going all the way up to now, where you look at what's ta what you're talking about in, in Sudan as well as in other um, countries in, in Eastern Africa and Central Africa, the reason why there is a vested interest is not building up and talking about the people is because there's a vested interest in, in, in pimping Africa for all of its resources. These countries have enough to feed not only the entire continent, but the entire world. When you look at all of the minerals that are in our, our phones that we're using right now, the tin, tantalum, the tungsten, the coltan, the, the copper that make all of our electronics runs, those come from these same areas. But the media is only primarily talking about what's going to happen in terms of getting the Americans out. The reason why we don't know about what's taking place there is because if people knew, if particularly black people throughout the diaspora knew that these were our people, that this was part of, that we are part of a community that should be working to embrace our brothers as opposed to, and sisters as opposed to running away from them, that would have to force people to change the entire narrative. And when you see what's happening in places like the Sudan, when you see what's happening in places like Congo, we also have to be mindful of the fact, and you said this earlier, that there's a vested interest in supporting dictators and leaders that are going to keep African countries unstable. We should be mindful. When we come back to Congo, we had a dictator who outlasted seven U.S. presidents in Mobutu Sese Seko. Who discovered him? George Bush Sr. in 1957, who said, I think this could be our guy in the Congo. When you look at somebody like a Rwanda in, in, uh, with Kagame, you see that this is a person who's been propped up by the United States, who's been, whose army has been trained by the ACRI, the African Crisis Response Initiative, who had carte blanche to be able to go in and take over two-thirds of the Congo and then partnership with Museveni in Uganda, almost take over the entire country and become exporters of minerals that they don't even have in their country. So I, I, I really want to go in on this, but I, I'm just saying at the end of the day, we have to be mindful that these strategic interests are found in everything that we utilize daily that comes from these war-torn areas. So we have to go beyond the mainstream media and find out the deeper connection that they don't want us to know. Absolutely. And Dr. Malveaux, on the, on the same point, I, I think that it's a fool's errand 
to try to uh, to create stability in, in countries when the concept of country is very much foreign to the continent of Africa. Uh, as I said, Ethiopia is, 12, is 11 to 12 different ethno-linguistic regions that are stuck together in a European model of nationhood because Europeans say, well, you have to have lines around this to say where everybody is supposed to be at, and you have to have a governing structure around the lines that we told you have to be there, as well as to res uh, respecting the type of ethno-linguistic lines which existed previously, as well as the nomadic tribes and nomadic traditions that some areas have. Is there any possibility of having an actual governing majority in many of these East African nations when they're trying to fit their own ethnic identity into a European model of governance, which is foreign to the continent, was really imposed upon them during colonialism, as so many other things were imposed upon us? You know, that's a mouthful of a question, but the answer is pretty much no. If we want to understand what's going on in the African continent, we have to go back to the 19th century to Metternich. Uh, they called him the coastman of Europe. He was the one of the uh, Polish leaders, or Belgian, one of those two, same thing, who decided to divide Africa up. This goes to France, this goes to the UK, this goes to the Netherlands, and with no regard for any kind of tribal um, allegiances, just let's just put it together. That's how we ended up with the Biafran War in Nigeria. You had warring tribes in the same so-called country. And so, Robert, you're absolutely right about this concept of a country when you really have very, very fluid borders. But the challenge is the United States has exploited Africa for as long as, starting with the importation of our ancestors, but exploited Africa as long as they could. Africa has been a pawn in the Cold War. Russia is now using Africa, as we're beginning to see the kind of economic problems that preclude us from doing more. I don't—I one point to quibble with you on, I don't think it's Ukraine or the Sudan. I mean, I, I think we get into a fool's errand if we start comparing. It could be both and. I don't like the way Ukraine is in the front page every five minutes, and we never see this Africa stuff unless we're on Roland Martin Unfiltered. But I do think that, uh, as humanitarians, we really should not do the kind of compare and contrast. What we must say is that if we are the champions of world democracy, which is a farce and a lie, but that's another story, but if we claim that that's what, then we should be caring about democracy wherever. And we should also be caring about stability. But there will be no stability when you have this kind of rivalry that is basically um, incited by the United States and by Russia. We have been complicit in this. And what Congo ran down in terms of the essential minerals, this has been happening for a very long time. And we have seen Africa carved up for a very long time. If we want to point some fingers, though, we need to point them at ourselves. Why are we in the United States? We will take it out to the streets for this or for that. We have never taken it out to the streets for the African continent. Uh, we lost Randall Robinson. Of course, last week we lost Harry Belafonte, two brothers who saw a very um, important global view. But they, Dr. Ron Daniels, who leads the uh, Institute for the Black World, had a conference last week where we had world leaders from the, the, from the African world, from the diaspora, uh, from the Caribbean, um, come in. But very few of our leaders, and I would fault our civil rights organizations as well. I mean, people always have these little vanity trips to the African continent, uh, vanity trips of what do you do, what do you bring, what are you saying, what are the results? So we, as black Americans, have let right. down our forebrothers and forefathers. We have simply ignored what's going on. And from an economic perspective, the level of, you know, here's what we get for, about Africa. We get famine. 
And as you, I love the uh, term trauma porn. I'm going to steal that. Uh, but, you know, we get the famine, we get the war, and we don't get any of the good stuff. There are at least a dozen African con countries who, though flawed, have stable economies. Mm -hmm. Ghana among them. All of them are, have been manipulated by European countries, but they are still growing and building. And in some ways, we can look at uh, President Clinton's Africa policy and people like Singleton McAllister, who led USAID at a point in time, to basically credit some of that. But these are th that's a majority of a minority, rather, 54 countries. And I mean, it also kills me when our people say, "Where are you from? Africa." All right. Uh, well, <laughs> it's like seriously. Well, I so, think what I want to well, say is that I, we have responsibility. We have to do some of the work. And I think part of the reason they, they keep us so ignorant of everything going on there is because they want to have exactly that same perspective. They want us to have that same Donald Trump Jr. shithole country ideology when it comes to the richest continent and the oldest continent on Earth. Uh, I do want to, uh, to also uh, switch over to talking a little bit about the debt ceiling uh, or, or as, uh, as it comes down. Because, because what we're seeing, you know, Kevin McCarthy has introduced this budget. Uh, they call it the Limit, Save, Grow Act of 2023. Um, so they say, look, we'll raise the debt ceiling. We will pay the bills we have already run up as long as you get rid of student loan reform, as long as you get rid of uh, veterans' benefits, as long as you get rid of uh, child food programs, any of these other pro uh, social programs, if you stop the investments against climate change, if you can stop the investments that will uh, help to, uh, to really advance America going forward. Dr. Malvo, I'm going to go directly back to you. Is this a serious budget proposal, or are they just window dressing and they're trying to set America up for the fall that they can blame on Joe Biden? This is a big joke. Um, the Office of Management and Budget has said that if McCarthy has his way, the cuts will be about 22 percent across the board. Uh, so of course, they keep defense coal, but everything else, from food stamps, from Medicare. We just saw a report, uh, Robert, from Common Dreams. It said that uh, poverty is a number four cause of death in the United States. That debt ceiling bill that McCarthy put out there may plummet poverty up to the number three or even number two, because they're taking food out of people's mouth and doing it both deliberately and gleefully. Uh, but we—and it is a setup for Biden. They're playing brinksmanship. They're, McCarthy is doing us no favors by saying, I'm going to pay my bills. You know, um, th and that's what he's attempting to do. Oh, gee, I'm so generous. I'm going to pay my bills. The fact is that they're not lowering costs. They're raising costs for American families with the work that they're trying to do to put people really in poverty, in debt. One of uh, President Biden's biggest uh, accomplishments, I felt, as a former college president and now as a college dean, was uh, student loan forgiveness, which in disproportionately impacted black students who many of whom, even with the forgiveness, it was 10000 and 20000 if you had Pell. That's still, when I was president at Bennett, I go through the, I go through the bills and look at what students owed. And some of them owed almost six figures. So 20000 yes, it's a, it's a break and a blessing, but for many, it's just not enough. So to try to reverse that is really, they're attempting to play games, but they're not playing mm -hmm. games with Biden. They're playing games with lives. And so people need to pay attention to this debt ceiling, because I think most people don't understand that the debt ceiling is what you owe from the past. It has nothing to do with the future. This could be two separate bills. We're going to deal with the debt ceiling, and we're going to deal with the budget. It could be two separate bills, but they don't want to do it that way. 
Absolutely. Dr. Domingo, if you were in Joe Biden's uh, position, would you uh, acquiesce? Would you kind of fold to the Republican demands? Or would you actually take it all the way to the limit and let the voters decide who they will blame for the collapse of the U.S. government, a potential recession, uh, the de-dollarization of the international economy, et cetera? I would absolutely continue to stand stand my ground on this particular issue. The fact of the matter is the Republicans have been anti-poor from the beginning. The fact of the matter is that 25% over America's total debt, total debt, was accumulated under the Trump administration. And under the Trump administration, the Republicans voted to raise the debt ceiling three times with no fanfare. This has never been a political issue. And not only should Biden wait and, and, and run this part out, he should, him as well as other politicians, should be running on this. They should be making this the platform. They want to cut everything that has to relate to people who are struggling in every way, shape, or form. They want to reverse everything that Biden has been able to create. As Dr. Malvo said, we got the student loan stuff caught up in courts. We're talking about the Build Back Better agenda. And everything. And not only do these guys say that they don't want to, you know, they, they love the military, but even outside of the budget, they're holding up the promotions of over 200 military personnel who are seeking to get to higher levels. So they're also hurting us as it relates to national defense. Every single day, the Republicans give us more to run on. And Biden needs to run on Democrats being the party of freedom, Democrats being the party that wants to balance the budget, Democrats that wants to put more people to work. Look at the unemployment numbers and what's going to happen with if these Republican budget cuts go through. So he has to continue to fight and, like he said, finish the job. And you don't finish the job with people who have a vested interest in seeing America become, uh, become crippled by what's happening today. And we started with Trump's—well, not started, but when they raised—when they had those tax cuts for the rich under Trump, that was the only sign we needed to let us know where this party was planning to go down in the future, and we got to fight them at every step of the way. You know, it's funny that the Republicans have given up on the idea of being the fiscally conservative party. Uh, what you said, 25 percent of the national debt was accumulated under tr uh, Trump alone. One in five dollars have ever been printed in the history of America was printed during the Trump administration. Uh, if you took away the Trump and the Bush tax cuts as they exist currently, uh, you would cut the federal debt by about $10 trillion. And you compare that with Joe Biden, who's cut the federal deficit by about $2 trillion in just his first three years in office. I think Democrats with the right communications message will be able to use this to their advantage. We're going to talk more about this after the break. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black... From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Star Network. On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, nurses are the backbone of the healthcare industry, and yet only 7% of them are Black. What's the reason for that low number? Well, a lack of opportunities and growth in their profession. Joining us on the next Get Wealthy is Needy Bartonelli. She's going to be sharing exactly what nurses need to do and what approach they need to take to take ownership of their success. So the Black Nurse Collaborative really spawned from a place and a desire to create opportunities to uplift each other, those of us in the profession, to also look and reach back and create pipelines and opportunities for other nurses like us. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Hood-Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. Black TV does matter, dang it. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Are are big bookstore chains really snubbing uh, small black bookstores? That's where our guests believe it's taking place right now. Mom and pop entrepreneurs often feel the shaft of big businesses. But what happens when you actually know that big companies are intentionally snubbing you? Well, that's what's happening to our next guest. Bookstore owners say authors are requesting to do events at their establishments, but the publishing companies are ignoring the businesses and their actual clients. Joining me now are Annika Caesar, the owner of Fulton Street Books and Coffee in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and DJ Johnson, the owner of Baldwin and Company in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thank both of you so much for joining me this evening. It's good to Thank be here. And thanks so much. Uh, I'm going to start with you, DJ. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what is going on with these big bookstore publishers? Because you know, people go on book tours; they they want to get to the uh, get to the people. Uh, you would think that these big publishers would really want to uh, get the message out there because money in their pocket. But what's happening? 
Well, I think the, the, the issue of the racial discrimination in the book publishing against black-owned bookstores, it's, it's, it's been long systematic in denying black-owned bookstores equal opportunity, which has just caused severe economic hardships in the businesses. So there's always underlying issues to where things on the surface, you may perceive it to be one way, but then um, there's other bodies that work to um, disenfranchise black-owned businesses at a higher level. And so, Wolf, that can you kind of describe the people who, who may not be uh, directly connected with, with, with what's going on, how the system is supposed to work, and how they are discriminating against black-owned companies. Well, the way the system is supposed to work is whereas when um, an author requests a book event at a bookstore, that author's voice and that author's request should be honored. So what we've been experiencing is that authors are requesting to come to our stores and their voices and their requests are being denied. And I don't think the authors understand how much power that they have and that these requests should be fulfilled, particularly when uh, we as Black-owned bookstores are also sending in requests through our publishing reps that we would like to host this author. And then the author is also saying that I would like to host them at, I would also like to attend their bookstore at my for my book event, and uh, both of those requests are just being denied. Uh, and Ms. Caesar, I want to bring you into the, this conversation. Uh, what happens when you uh, put in a request to have an author do a book signing or book reading at, at your store, or when a uh, author says they want to have an event at your store? What's their justification? What reason could they have to not really want to make the money for both the publishing company, the author, and the bookstore? Yeah, what I think is happening is that there are essentially miscommunication, right, and misunderstandings. In the entrepreneurship world, oftentimes Black-owned businesses are seen as risky to invest in. And what we know, based on the data, is that that is actually not true. And so I think some of that um, mindset translates over to the book world, where people believe, oh, it's a Black-owned bookstore, it's a community-based bookstore. They may not be able to bring in the crowd, right, which will bring in the money. And what they don't understand is, especially in communities of color, especially in Black communities, bookstores, I always say, are only second importance in terms of their service and their value in communities to the Black church, right? And so they are pillars in their community, and they can bring in um, the people, they can bring in the numbers. And so sometimes they are just perceived to be not able or not, or perceived to not be able to have the capacity to bring in um, the crowds. And so it's a chicken and egg situation that because they believe that you can't bring in the crowds, they don't book the events for you to be able to bring in the crowds. How do you kind of break that vicious cycle? Yeah, I mean, I think it's being able to have those proof points, right? So if there is equity in terms of being able to bring in authors to even have the ability to prove what your bookstore and what your community is able to do and how you're able to have a turnout, then we won't be able to see that happen. And so what I think really, really needs to happen is that there needs to be um, assurances that there is equity in terms of the author's voice. There's equity in terms of Black-owned booksellers and their voices in terms of who they want to bring in. We know our stories and we know our communities. And so we need to be heard and our voice needs to be valued and um, validated at the table. Uh, and, and DJ, can you kind of talk about the, the importance of these book signings and these types of events for smaller community-owned bookstores, particularly in the black community? Because we've seen so many black bookstores go out of business in the last few years. Uh, it's in many communities, you know, where, uh, where we live at in South Fulton in Atlanta, you know, our bookstore in Camp Creek went out of business. They put a, a, a weave store there uh, instead. You really see the, the neighborhood kind of fall apart when you don't have access to those black 
black books. Can you talk about the importance of these events and making sure we can have a thriving black book community? So the thing is that black bookstores from the very beginning, from uh, when David Ruggles first opened up a black bookstore in 1834, it's always been the hub. It's the intellectual hub and the incubation of creativity where social justice reform spurs out of. So the importance of a black bookstore is into, it's, it's it cannot be, be be overstated in terms of creating a collective environment of individuals collectively fighting for social justice reform and equality within within society. So it's where it's a gathering hub um, where individuals always collectively come together in the black community and engage in discussions that progresses our movement forward. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting, and I, I uh, miss Caesar. You know, if you look at much of the writings from the Harlem Renaissance, they talk about organizing and meeting and exchanging ideas in uh, bookshops and cafes. If you look at much of the organizing in the civil rights movement, they talked about meeting and organizing and strategizing in bookstores and in libraries and church basements and cafes. Can you talk a little bit about what happens when the black bookstores are removed from a community? we lose essentially our safe places, right? We need third places in our communities as well, places that are not work and places that are not home, places where we can water ideas, creativity. A lot of our social and cultural movements have been birthed in places like bookstores and in actual bookstores. And so bookstores serve, I always say, more than just books. Um, they are holding space for community. That's where we go. That's where we gather. It's where people get resources. It's where you connect with other people. It is where sometimes you're just able to let your hair down and relax. And so they serve uh, more so as community spaces than as platforms for individual wealth creation. Mm. And on that point, you know, we often see books in black bookstores that you're not going to see in Books A Million, that you're not going to see in Barnes & Noble. I remember we had a, a small black-owned bookstore in West End in Atlanta where I got the uh, uh, the autobiography of H. Rap Brown, Stokely Carmichael, uh, books on the, the Panthers, on the founding of the Nation of Islam. Can you talk a little bit about the diversity of thought that we lose when we lose black bookstores? Yeah, I will say here in Oklahoma, we are facing a lot of challenges around potential book bans. I believe that book bans are essentially censorship. And when we censor voices, most often those voices are marginalized, black, brown, or otherwise marginalized voices. And our children, our communities, we need to see representation. We need to hear the truth about our stories, past, present, and future. And we need those imaginative spaces where we can construct, right, what has been our, our history, especially here in this country, and also use that as a means to figure out what that path forward is. So it's representation. It's, uh, it's um, stories that are, you know, being censored and uh, are preferably unheard. So uh, bookstores serve so much uh, to who we are as a people that uh, when we lose those, when we lose those monuments, when we, when we lose those community pillars, we're losing a lot more than a business. And I think people don't understand that piece of it. I want to bring the panel in. Uh, Dr. Malvo, do you have a question for our guest? I sure do. Uh, first of all, I want to shout out my favorite bookstore, which is Marcus Books in Oakland, California. Uh, they used We used to have two of them, one in San Francisco, one in Oakland. One had to close. It was the oldest Black-owned bookstore west of the Mississippi. Um, and basically, I grew up in that bookstore. What My, my question is how—two um, things, quickly. What role do agents play in where an author is able 
to uh, visit. I think that if agents are more aggressive uh, when a contract is being signed and authors are more aware, this may be obviate some of the challenges that both of you mentioned that you have. The other piece of the question is the issue of scale economies. Um, economies of scale mean that you end up paying more, more per copy of a book, you get a smaller discount. Usually, um, I'm an author sometimes, and you know, usually they say 65 or 55 percent. You, but it seems to me that the smaller the bookstore, the lower the scale economy. So, are there ways that you could take advantage of scale economies in terms of having a more, uh, making more profit? They'll just call it that. But in terms of making more profit, either one of you, if you would take that question on for me, both questions, I'd appreciate it. I'll, I'll take part of it, and I'll let Anika um, jump in. In terms of the agents, the agents play a small role, but these publishing houses are very large publishing houses, and there's a lot of different departments. So there's the agents who are um, really just pushing for the best possible outcome for their client, but they rely on uh, the publishing houses to say where the sales. The publishing houses are the ones who track the sales, so they know which bookstores or selling the most or have an idea of which bookstores will sell the most. And for the agent, the agent is like, I just want my client to go where they're going to be the most successful. So they kind of rely on the publishing houses for that information. Um, the problem with the publishing houses is that they're perpetuating systematic racism and undermining the efforts of individuals like ourselves who are fighting for equity, um, who may not have a long track record of a, a white-owned bookstore that's been around for 30, 40 years, but they're not also not understanding the connection that we have to the black community. Um, in terms of the economies of scale, of course, the more books, the more books you order, the bigger discount you get. So. If we can host more authors, then that grows more notoriety, more recognition, and it, it draws in bigger crowds. So it's a big difference in the discount from ordering 50 books from ordering 500 books. So the more we're able to get some of the bigger name authors to whereas we can guarantee um, that we're going to have hundreds of, of, of individuals attending, then of course, that's the greater discount that we're going to get on it, and that's the greater profit margins that we're going to receive. And, and Ms. Caesar, just to you, what should we do as the public to help with this issue? Do we need to be ensuring that we're contacting the agents or contacting the authors, contacting the publishing companies? How can we help to ameliorate this issue? Yeah, uh, it's something that DJ and I were actually just, just discussing, right? What are the solutions and how can your everyday individual jump in and support? Um, I would say one of the easiest things that folks can do is to support your local Black-owned bookstores. Buy from Black-owned bookstores. If you're working at a company and that company needs vendors, ensure that you're plugging in Black-owned bookstores anywhere that people need books make sure that you're advocating for Black-owned bookstores. I think that's one simple thing that any single person can do to ensure equity. I will say one of the challenges in the publishing in industry is that um, it can be very confusing, and I don't think there's one place you can go to or one person in the chain that you can pinpoint and say, we can just get to that person. And so I think consumers have a lot of power, and part of the way that they can use that power is by pushing for um, just uh, frequenting and shopping at Black-owned bookstores. Well, we thank both of you so much for everything that you're doing. We want to make sure that people understand. Ron DeSantis is burning and banning books for a reason. Support Black-owned bookstores where you can. Anika Caesar, also DJ Johnson, thank you so much for everything, uh, uh, everything that you've done and everything that you're uh, working on going forward. We'll be back after the break. Oh, before we go to break, uh, well, Ms. Caesar, Mr. Baldwin, can you uh, give out your contact information, how people can uh, buy from you, how people can follow you on social media? I'll start with you, Ms. Caesar. 
Yes, uh, you can find us at FultonStreet918.com, also on all social channels at FultonStreet918. We're located here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, home of the original Black Wall Street. If you're ever here, please come by and see us. Uh, Mr. Johnson? Yes, we are located in New Orleans, Louisiana. Our website is BaldwinandCoBooks.com. Our social media on Instagram is at Baldwin and Company. And on Twitter, it's at Baldwin Books. Please follow us. Um, we work to expand literacy and promote discourse amongst all members in the community. And, and we just believe that there's no better way to foster intellectual growth than through the power of books and literature and the success of the individual. It begins with a book in mind. So definitely please follow us. And um, we have some of the best events in the country. So definitely tap into your Black-owned bookstore collective. All right. Thank you all so much. We're going to keep this conversation going after break. Make sure you buy. Black-owned books from Black-owned bookstores. We'll be back after the break. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black... I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Our network. Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. We look at the history of emancipation around the world, including right here in the United States, the so-called end of slavery. Trust me, it's a history lesson that bears no resemblance to what you learned in school. Professor Chris Manjapra, author, scholar, amazing teacher, joins us to talk about his latest book, Black Ghost of Empire the death of slavery, and the failure of emancipation. He explains why the end of slavery was no end at all, but instead a collection of laws and policies designed to preserve the status quo of racial oppression. The real problem is that the problems that slavery in invented have continued over time, and what reparations are really about is saying how do we really 
transform society, right? And, and, and stop racial violence, which is so endemic. What we need to do about it on the next installment of The Black Table, right here on the Black Star Network. On a next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, we talk about a hard, cold fact. Not all healthcare is created equal in this country, especially if you're a person of color. So many of us Black families, we rely upon each other heavily. A lot of us aren't necessarily sure how to best communicate with our healthcare providers. How to take charge and balance the scales. Your life may depend on it. That's next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network. This is Judge Matthews. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Mac Wild. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. The nerd prom was this weekend. The White House Correspondents' Dinner uh, is the occasion where the press and politicians get together in Washington, D.C. in order to raise uh, money for journalism students, but also to poke fun at each other, uh, to have some eventful conversations. Of course, it was uh, famously when Donald Trump was roasted by Seth Meyers that he decided to run for president. Uh, we've seen various comedians hosting over the course of the, uh, the last several years. This year, President Biden stunned the audience at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and he delivered a set of jokes about Fox News, Ron DeSantis, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and his speech. Uh, 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 let's hear a little bit of that uh, from uh, President Biden's speech. This was ho it was hosted this year by Roy Woods Jr. Uh, from The Daily Show. Uh, make sure you guys follow him on social media because they're still looking for a host for The Daily Show, and we need to support Roy Woods uh, in that uh, uh, in that competition. So let's hear from Roy Woods and then from President Biden uh, at the White House Correspondent there. Happy to be here. Oh, real quick, Mr. President, I think you left some of your classified documents up here. You can get to them. Yeah. No, don't give them to him. I'll put them in a safe place. He don't know where to keep them. I'm a... Happy to be here, though. Happy hey, to be dressed nice. You got the nice threads on. You got the jewelry glistening. Look like everybody got a little piece of that settlement money from Fox News. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that, because I'm not going to have dominion on my ass. <laughs> I love Dominion. Matter of fact, let me just say right now, my favorite voting machine is <laughs> Dominion voting machines. When I go to the polls, I make sure it is a Dominion machine that I use. If your election needs the truth, put Dominion in your booth. You might think I don't like Rupert Murdoch. That's simply not true. How could I dislike a guy who makes me look like Harry Styles? <laughs> Call me old. I call it being seasoned. You say I'm ancient. I say I'm wise. You say I'm over the hill. Don Lemon would say that's a man of his prime. I want everybody to have fun tonight, but please be safe. If you find yourself disoriented or confused, it's either you're drunk or Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> but the job isn't finished. I mean, it is finished for Tucker Carlson. <laughs> what are you wooing about like that? Like, you think that's not reasonable? Had Ron DeSantis 
I had a lot of Ron DeSantis jokes ready. But Mickey, but Mickey Mouse beat the hell out of me and got there first. <laughs> now, look. Can't be too rough on the guy. After his re-election as governor, he was asked if he had a mandate. He said, hell no, I'm straight. I'm straight. I'll give you time to think that one through. You got it? It's great the cable news networks are here tonight. MSNBC owned by NBC Universal. Fox News owned by Dominion Voting Systems. Your favorite Fox News reporters were able to attend because they were fully vaccinated and boosted. This year, with that $787 million settlement, they're here because they couldn't say no to a free meal. <laughs> and hell, I'd call Fox honest, fair, and truthful, but then I could be sued for defamation. I hope the Fox News team finds this funny. My goal is to make them laugh as hard as CNN did when they read the settlement. But then again, CNN was like, wow, they actually have $787 million? Joining us now also to the panel is Brianna Cartwright, political strategist. And Brianna, I want to start with you because one of the interesting things that I saw of trending on social media is that in conservative media, they were so upset by President Biden making fun of them, they claimed that that wasn't President Biden, but that was an, either an imposter or a clone. Uh, what, what do you think it says when conservatives have set the bar so low for Biden, they are amazed that he can stand up and give a speech and tell jokes? Uh, I think that's funny in itself, because I don't think our uh, technology has been good enough in order to to make it a clone. Um, but I'm glad that they enjoyed it. Um, but we also know, as the jokes, uh, they have a lot of conspiracy theories that they like to spin, and they will keep on doing it until you keep putting their feet to the fire. Um, but I'm glad that... Uh, he had some good jokes, uh, got them out, and even though we're laughing at him, it's very sad and true, a lot he said. And Dr. Dubinga, on that same point, you know, uh, the jokes are funny, but it's funny because we're literally saying that our media system in this country is so corrupted and can't be trusted that we can all just sit in a room and chuckle about it. Do you think this actually will have an impact on the American people understanding that even in these rooms of power, these people joke about how corrupt the media is? I think that what you just said is extremely sad, but it, but it is true. What I'm really hoping is that with jokes like this and with what happened with, with Dominion and what's going to happen with these other lawsuits and things, that there's going to be some type of focus in returning to truth-based journalism and truth-based media as a form of profit. Fox's profit margin is based on lies, is based on deception. That's what Rupert Murdoch has been about his entire time. And whether we're talking about Bill O'Reilly or Hannity or, or Carlson, this has been their this has been their focus. And now, unfortunately, what was sad about this is that they're being held accountable 
financially, but they're not being held accountable for what they've done as it relates to being a threat to democracy. I believe that Rupert Mur Murdoch and his empire is one of the biggest threats, is the biggest threat to democracy in this country. And Tucker Carlson is gone not because of him calling Iranians monkeys or everything he said about replacement theory and everything else. No, it's primarily because he called the executive Susan Scott the, the C word and other terms he had about Rupert Murdoch. So it's like when he came for them, then he had to be gone. But the fact of the matter is they don't care about the truth. And right now, I'm hoping that this will start to be a switch with these routines and the comedy routines and, and the settlements, start to be a shift to making sure that the, the profit margin is based on fact-based journalism. And lastly, I'm hoping that all of us who have cable at home will start to call out our companies because Fox doesn't need advertisers as long as they got carriage fees from Verizon and all of these other companies. The highest paid company that makes money off of cable is ESPN in terms of fees distributed. The second highest is Fox News. So you can hate on them, but if you got cable, you're paying them. Uh, and Dr. Malveaux, you know, uh, the uh, the big concern for many voters is whether or not President <clears throat> Biden will be physically able, physically fit, mentally acute enough to make, uh, serve a second term. Do you think this speech actually helped him in the minds of some voters? Well, he looked great. He was on top of his game. Um, you know, that's a Joe Biden that I know and love. Uh, I, I think that Joe Biden has got a very bad rap. Yes, he is uh, of a certain age. If he is elected, which I hope he will be, he'll be, I believe, 86 years old when he leaves office. And that, for many, is ancient. For many others, it's not. I mean, I think everybody on the panel is familiar with Dr. Dorothy Irene Height who basically worked right. until she went to the hospital uh, at 92 or 3, um, but work, went to her office Ed Day, I said, Ed Day, with her hat and gloves on, and presided over the business of the National Council of Negro Women. Dr. Janetta Betch Cole, um, my predecessor at Bennett, is uh, alive and well and kicking, and there's so many others. So the ageism really has got to stop. Um, it, it, you know, I, I could understand people was concerned, but there's also a level of concern that is laced with racism and sexism. I saw a, a, somebody's show, and they were talking about how they want, they like Biden, but they can't see Kamala as vice as, as president. Well, that's why not. You saw Al Gore. You saw I don't know how many others. How come you can't see this very competent, very good? black woman who's being judged at a standard that no other vice president has ever been judged at. So I think that Biden did a very, very good job. But I want to say one quick thing to Omicongo. Brother, you are an optimist. If you think that <laughs> some jokes and some other stuff is going to stop these predatory capitalists from exploiting people, especially when the orange man has a hard core of how many million idiots who follow him, follow Fox, and, and unapologetically so. So I love your optimism, but let me tell you, predatory capitalists will win out every time we have to do the organizing to be the antidote to that. Well, well, Guilty you know, as charged for my optimism. <laughs> some, somebody has to be an optimist if no one else is. But uh, for the people who are saying Joe Biden is too old, we just saw the Memphis Grizzlies say LeBron was too old, uh, and then he beat him by 40. So uh, keep the ageism to yourself. Don't think just because they, uh, they're older don't mean they can't do it. And just because you're young don't mean you got good ideas. Uh, Lauren Boebert is 36 years old. You know, Marjorie Taylor <laughs> Greene is in her early 40s. Matt Gates is like 35, 36 years old. You can be young and an idiot. So let's let's take age out of the <laughs> equation. Let's go by people's qualifications and what they're getting done. We're going to come back and keep, keep talking about election 2024 after the break. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. 
Network. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, nurses are the backbone of the healthcare. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. industry and yet only seven percent of them are black what's the reason for that low number well a lack of opportunities and growth in their profession joining us on the next get wealthy is needy bartonilla she's going to be sharing exactly what nurses need to do and what approach they need to take to take ownership of their success. So the Black Nurse Collaborative really spawned from a place and a desire to create opportunities to uplift each other, those of us in the profession, to also look and reach back and create, and create pipelines and opportunities for other nurses like us. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. Hi, this is Essence Atkins. Hey, I'm Dion Cole from Blackish. Hey, everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. 
the 2024 presidential race is in full swing. I know it used to be, you know, the presidential race was started after Labor Day. Not anymore. We already have declared candidates on the Republican side of the aisle. President Trump, of course, famously declared his re-election uh, campaign uh, in November of last year. We've had uh, Ron DeSantis still banding about the idea of running for president. Uh, Tim Scott, senator from South Carolina, uh, has uh, sta uh, stated he is creating an exploratory committee. Uh, to explore the idea of running for president. We got Asia Hutchinson uh, running. We have um, uh, uh, Nikki Haley has declared her candidacy. Uh, joining us now to discuss the Republican uh, primary season is our conservative friend Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right. Uh, Stacey, how are you doing this, after, uh, this evening? Thank you for having me on tonight. <laughs> Thank you. And, and so, Stacey, you, you know, you've been involved in Republican politics as long as I have known you. Uh, what is kind of the outlier for these candidates who are not President Trump when it comes to having a pathway to, uh, to securing the nomination? Well, I think what we're seeing is a huge discussion that's going on within the GOP about the direction of the party and about the viability of, obviously, the Trump campaign, which I feel is very viable, but those conversations are happening online, on Twitter, and then there's a lot of comparison. Which of these candidates is strong enough to go up against President Biden, who has historic lows on his polling, but is still very strong because the entire Democrat Party is behind him, even as people like Charlemagne the God question whether or not the primary process is being run correctly on the left. So there's, there's a big conversation going on, and I actually think it's far more healthy for our country in our system of government for us to have that conversation and for people to be arguing and fighting right now than it would be for us to be single-minded about any one candidate refusing to participate in the process. So this is actually good for us. But on the Republican side of the aisle, you know, you have uh, people like Tim Scott, who's launched an exploratory committee. Uh, you have Nikki Haley, who is running uh, against President Trump. But none of them have been willing to actually criticize or denounce or run against Trump. It's almost as if they're there as placeholders, as if, well, if President Trump can't run for any reason, I'm here. Are any of the Republican candidates going to actually be willing to get into a fistfight with Trump to secure the nomination? Or are they just trying to win by default in case he gets indicted? So, actually, I disagree with you, Robert, because there have been some pretty sharp comments from Vivek Ramaswamy on COVID policy. Uh, Nikki Haley has hit former President Trump on the same topic. So there are a lot of uh, hits that have been coming. But the real discussion about that, the real sparks will fly during the debate. So when they're on the stage together, that's when you're going to see all of them coming out for the front runner, which is President Trump. Now, you have some imagery up there of Governor DeSantis, America's governor, well-loved on the right side of the political aisle, but there are some questions that he's going to have to answer. And you know that former President Trump has been attacking him pretty strongly on true social and social media. So um, I think we're going to see the knife sharpening even more. But some of the candidates, like Senator Tim Scott, he's so well-loved and widely popular, and he's actually good friends with the former president and a lot of the other people who've thrown their hat in the ring. So it's nice now, but it'll get rough. Uh, on that point, you know, President Trump has been known to be, you know, a, a flamethrower, and he's come right out of the gate attacking Ron DeSantis before Ron DeSantis has even declared his candidacy. Uh, he basically accused Ron DeSantis of being a groomer and a pedophile. Uh, are we going to see the Republican race get that dirty this early? So my hope is that that's a hard no. Um, so I'm paying attention to the policies of each of these candidates and what they actually bring to the table in the way of promises that they plan to keep if they're elected and their viability against 
Biden. Biden's the actual president. He has the bully pulpit. He's the incumbent. There's a lot of power in that. He gets to take his questions from the White House press briefing room podium or the sticks on his way to and from Marine One. So we need a candidate who can approach that level of efficiency and give imagery and a sense of uh, competency that can match that of a sitting president. And I think we have great people on our bench who can do that. But we are early in the process, and so we'll see what they bring. Now, when it comes to this issue of gravitas, kind of the, the difference between a sitting president and a challenger, uh, on the one hand, you have President Trump, who, of course, has served the office before, but at the same time, he lost to Hillary Clinton by 3 million votes. He uh, lost the midterms in 2018. He lost to Joe Biden by 7 million votes. Uh, Republicans underperformed, the, in large part because of the Trump shadow in 2022, the proposed red wave. Uh, is that really where Republicans should be putting all their eggs in that basket again? given the track record over the course of the last five or six years. So I think your interpretation of those election cycles is interesting. And of course, it, it suits your side of the political aisle. But from where I'm sitting, when I look at the list of accomplishments of former President Trump during his four years in office, the list is too long for me to elucidate during our time here on this show. He had the border in a better place, the economy in a better place, and certainly voters saw him as someone who stood up for America instead of kind of receding and pulling back. We're watching our economy, bank failures, economies in the tank, recession, and we have inflation out of the wazoo. Not to leave out the fact that there are shortages and things that you can't find that were plenteous during the Trump administration. So obviously he's the front runner and with good reason. And the most important thing that we have to look at right now is what will he do if he's president again in comparison to our current president, who is leaving a lot of people behind? Uh, but, but on that point, just, I don't don't mean to belabor the point, but we're talking about the math here. President Trump lost in 2016 by 3 million votes. He lost in 2020 by 7 million votes. So Robert. Republicans really be trusting in that again. And this idea, is he going to just produce 7 to 10 million more votes in 2024 versus 2020? So, Robert, are you saying that in 2016, President Trump wasn't elected to the presidency of the United States? Because you keep talking about the popular vote totals, but we are a country that elects our president through the representative system. We're guaranteed a representative form of government by our Constitution. It's actually written down. That's that's how we abide. So President Trump did not lose in 2016. The midterms were not as expected, but certainly Republicans did well. And for 2020 and then 2022, uh, Republicans took back the House of Representatives. I'm not sure if you saw that, but the Republicans control the House, and there is narrow control of the Senate. It's not, a, it's not like there was a big mandate there in the U.S. Senate over this last midterm election. If there was, the numbers would have been far greater on the side of the Democrats. So uh, we see things a little differently there. The former president was elected in 2016 using the Electoral College, which is the same system we'll be using this go around in 2024. All right, I'm going to bring the panel in after this, but I want to ask, which of the candidates has the strongest agenda for African-Americans? Which candidate has articulated a specific agenda that for, you know, we, we talk about the numbers and the percentages of black voters voting for the Democratic Party. Which uh, candidate has articulated a message that they think will start winning over some of those voters? Well, President Trump had a number of programs that were fantastic for black Americans, and those accomplishments were made during his first term, and he plans to expand upon that in a second term in 2024. Um, I also think Senator Tim Scott is very strong on black issues, 
But it's not just black issues, is it? Is, is it that we as black Americans have a certain way of living that's different from the rest of the country? Kitchen table issues for white Americans and Asians and Hispanics are the same issues that black Americans face. We want jobs, we want safe neighborhoods, and we want an economy that's strong that does not get in our way. We don't want to be overregulated, and we certainly don't want the government telling us what we can and can't do in our private lives. That's an agenda that the Republican Party platform supports. Not so much on the Democrat side. Look at all of the command and control structures implemented by the Biden administration that are harming blacks. And look at the unemployment rate for blacks, which is deleterious in comparison to what it was under former President Trump. I want to bring in the panel for uh, questions before we run out of time. Uh, Brianna, I know you had a question for Stacey. I'm going to turn the floor over to you. I have many questions, uh, but I will try to keep it brief. Uh, first, I, I noticed that you said that you thought Tim Scott had a good agenda for Black Americans, and you specify that not just Black Americans, all Americans, which the table, um, the kitchen table issues apply across the board, which will help us because we know uh, when uh, America has uh, the cold, Black America has the flu, right? Um, but I saw Tim Scott's commercial, and the first thing it did was make me cringe. So I would like for you to go in a little bit more that. I would like you to go in a little bit more on what specifically, what issue with an economics. Um, I would say, yeah, let's start there with just economics for for Black Americans, for urban America. What specifically is Tim Scott's agenda? Uh, for urban America and economics that would be different than what we have seen in the last uh, four years. And then the other one is you said Trump. And I know Trump did a lot with the opportunity zones, which we saw that there was uh, ramifications with that too. So what specifically have you seen also in urban America and economics uh, that would be different the last four years? Okay, so I, you didn't specify what made you cringe about Senator Scott's announcement video, but I'll go—you you did, you did mention economic, uh, the economic part of the platform and the opportunity zones. So right now, under the Biden administration, since he took office— um, after he was elected, we've had an increase in the regulatory burden on average everyday citizens of over $14,000. And this has been tracked using government data on the regulatory burden and how that impacts Americans. So an additional $14,000 a year on every American household because of the additional regulations implemented by the Biden administration. Both Trump and Scott have a low regulatory pressure agenda. So that in and of itself saves Americans money. And then there's also the impact on inflation. When you have high inflation, that money comes right out of the pockets and uh, bank accounts of Americans, regardless of their socioeconomic structure. So if you're on the low end, the pressure is higher for you. So couple that with the regulatory burden. And both of those Republicans that you asked about have a better agenda than the Biden administration. Uh, and just as a way of follow-up, uh, because uh, before we, we go back, what uh, what are the specific policies that uh, either Scott or Trump would implement to lower inflation? Uh, currently, U.S. inflation is about one-third of what it is in France, a quarter of what it is uh, in Great Britain. What would be these specific policies? No. So the comparison for our country to France or, or any other uh, 
European country is not a good comparison because those countries have a socialist paradigm and we are a free market capitalist society. So reduction of the regulatory burden and a focus on energy policy. Right now, the Biden administration is crushing our natural gas and oil industry, which is the backbone of our economy, by not allowing new natural gas leases and not permitting further exploration so that we can be net producers. We were net oil producers during the Trump administration and under a future Republican president, regardless of who it is, we would be net oil producers again. That's a boost to the economy, and it's a reduction in the regulatory burden. So it's a one-two punch in reducing the amount of money that Americans don't have in their pockets to be able to spend on things that they need, like diapers, shortages, formula shortages, and other things that we're paying nine times more. The cost of eggs is nine times higher during the Biden administration than it was under the Trump administration. All right, we're going to go to a quick break. I want to continue this conversation on the other side. I know Dr. Malvo and Dr. Dabinga uh, had questions they wanted to articulate. Uh, but however, on this point of there being socialist governments in the UK, uh, the UK has been under the conservative government for over a decade now. The last five prime ministers have been from the conservative party as opposed to labor. Uh, so I, I would like to dive in a little bit about the differences between the mini budget introduced by Liz Truss prior to her resignation. And uh, before we uh, we dive in, but we're going to talk about on the other side of break. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You're watching Rolling Water Adventures, streaming live on the Black Star Network. We'll be back after the break. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. 
As an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol, we're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a background. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. There's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. On the next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, we talk about a hard, cold fact. Not all health care is created equal in this country, especially if you're a person of color. So many of us Black families, we rely upon each other heavily. A lot of us aren't necessarily sure how to best communicate with our health care providers. How to take charge and balance the scales. Your life may depend on it. That's next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network. How y'all doing? It's your favorite funny girl, Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Rolling Martin Unfiltered. Welcome back to Rolling Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Also, everybody, make sure you are liking and subscribing to the video. We have to make sure we get up over a thousand likes so Roland, when he gets back from the golf course, knows we're actually putting it into work over here. We're still talking to Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right. And so before the break, we were talking a little bit about the economic policies of uh, some of the Republican candidates versus that uh, of uh, President Biden's current administration. And you were uh, discussing uh, the comparison between the American uh, levels of inflation versus some of the European governments. Uh, what would be a proper comparative model uh, if UK, if France, if Germany aren't models to compare to? Who should we compare the American economy uh, to with regards to inflationary pressures on the market? So first off, if we're comparing, I like to compare to previous years of ourselves. So I would not compare our country to much tinier countries in Europe where they've formed a European Union to mimic our model. They don't have the same GDP. Each of our states has similar or greater GDPs to those of European nations. So standalone comparisons between one European nation and the entire country of America are not apples to apples comparisons. And you mentioned that um, there have been conservative governments who've been running the UK, but that does not contr the control their actual economic policy. Those are elected officials and they enact policy, but it doesn't change the structure of their government. They are socialist in nature and we are a free market capitalistic society. So um, if they, ha they have single payer for health care. We do not. We have a free market health care system. So the comparison is not accurate. 
Uh, and and with that, when you say you want to compare America to previous years, are you comparing it to pre uh, previous years, specifically during the the pandemic, or are you comparing it to other uh, uh, periods of time uh, when America was in a similar uh, situation as we are now? Because I find that the math often ends up uh, skewed when you say, well, during President Trump, X Y Z happened. Well, you know, the world's economy was shut down because of uh, COVID, so it's difficult to have a comparative model set upon an outlier situation. Uh, are any uh, uh, indulgences created there to have a proper dollar-for-dollar dollar economic uh, exchange uh, for what was happening then versus what is happening now. So at the end of the Trump administration, there we were experiencing a V-shaped recovery. The economy was rebounding and it, things were looking up. But there were three years before the pandemic where we had sound economic policy and a robust economy, near zero percent inflation and a robust GDP growth. So there are recent times with which we can compare the performance of the Biden administration and the previous administration is the appropriate one to compare. And if you take out the pandemic as an outlier, the comparison between the two administrations is stark. Obviously, one of them is limping along with an economy that is not growing at the same pace, with unemployment not being at the same levels. Obviously, the Trump economy was far better than the Biden economy. Uh, now, given give, uh, with that in mind, uh, we have seen that during the course of the Trump administration, one in five dollars ever printed in the history of the United States was printed during the Trump administration. During the Trump administration, we saw about uh, 30 percent of the U.S. debt be accumulated by the Trump administration. The Trump administration paid out direct payments to Americans on multiple occasions. Uh, in many ways, people will say that was a socialist government. The part of the reason we are in the debt crisis we are right now is because of the cost of the Trump tax cuts were never paid for. How can we argue that when President Trump was running up the country's credit card, that can be compared to Joe Biden, who's been paying down the debt to the tune of $2 trillion over the first three years of his administration? So, first off, you, and you addressed a number of different issues there. So, the first thing is that during the pandemic, there were payments that were made, but those were not enacted by Donald Trump. Those were things that were passed through both houses of, houses of Congress, and they were bipartisan, and they were a response to the pandemic. Just because they were bipartisan doesn't mean all Americans agreed with those individual payments that were made. It was that first inflush of cash that took away from the robust economy and set us up for a recession in later months. So I'm talking about the inflationary impact of all of those additional American dollars inside of our system. That was a negative. So Every single thing that we saw during the Trump years isn't something that we would agree with, but it was still better, even including the pandemic years, than what we're going through under the Biden administration. So you you named off a number of different things there that you were kind of ping-ponging around. The net effects, if you compare first year to first year of President Biden's administration and Trump's administration, the economies are like two different universes. President Trump oversaw a robust economic growth. President Biden crushed our oil and natural gas in, in industry, canceled the Keystone XL, XL pipeline, hit union workers where they hurt because the majority of the Keystone XL pipeline workers were union workers, and then proceeded to enact uh, actual executive orders that hurt the oil and natural gas industry, and then went around begging for oil but, and natural gas. But, but hold on, on this point, are you denying that President Trump added literally trillions of dollars to the national debt with no intention of ever paying them off at all? He, he, he All these economic numbers are on the nation's credit card, and now Kevin McCarthy wants to cut social services, they want to cut benefits to families, they want to cut social—they they want to cut veteran benefits to pay off the credit card that Donald Trump just ran off. Is that, is that inaccurate? 
No, I'm not denying that um, the the national debt increased under Trump as it did under every other president before him. I am denying that the payments, the individual payments that you mentioned, were his idea. He signed them into but, law. But he signed, were... he signed them into law. So if he thought they were a bad idea, he could have vetoed the law, correct? Yeah, and then what would you have said on cable news that he doesn't want to help people? Like you're mischaracterizing the cuts that Leader, he made. Leadership, leadership is about oh, yeah. doing what is unpopular. I, we, we're not electing a homecoming queen. We're electing a president. If he so thought it was a bad idea, he could have vetoed it, correct? On my show, I would not talk over you, nor would I ask a question, and before you're done answering it, come back in with more questions or continue to make the conversation one in which your viewers can't hear what we're saying. So the answer to your question about the unpaid tax cuts is that is the same spurious, incorrect assertion that is constantly made by Democrats who want to increase taxes that actually hurt tax increases, hurt people that look like you and me. Low tax burdens don't hurt black Americans. They help black Americans because a robust economy is one in which all black Americans can find work and begin to experience the American dream, as you and I are already doing. So a conversation about tax policy in this short amount of time that starts off with you saying that the Trump tax cuts weren't paid for, that's inaccurate. Of course they were paid for. And not only was the response in the business sector of our economy a good one, but we saw the largest increase in people who are at the managerial level or the retail level, the largest increase in bonuses and, and pay in the history of our country happened after the Trump tax cuts. So we can't talk about the Trump tax cuts without noting how good they were for black Americans. We flourished during the Trump years. It doesn't matter what was said on cable news. We flourished during the Trump years. Yo lowest black unemployment rate in the history of tracking that metric. So we, we can talk about uh, the increase in the debt. I, I didn't like it. It wasn't my uh, idea of good policy. But we were in a pandemic. It was unprecedented. People were trying to figure out what to do. We have also seen the debt increase under President Biden. But the biggest increase in regulatory pressure has also occurred under Biden. And also $87 billion for new IRS agents to level audits on people who earn like you and me, people who look like you and me. We'll be the ones who are bearing the brunt of the audit pressure under the new IRS reality that's brought to us by the Democrats and the Biden administration. That now, hurts in, in, in a Republican primary, will this be something that some of the other Republican candidates hit Trump on? Uh, some of these policies that they would consider in any other situation socialist? Will this be a situation where President Trump will find himself on the defensive against true economic conservatives who will be against many of the policies he put in place that did run up the national debt? It's possible. And if so, I'm sure he has some people working on what his response to that will be. Um, but I'm I'm here because you asked me to come and talk about the primary, and I actually care just as much about what happens to black Americans as you do. My work in my community is for that purpose, to advance not just black Americans, but the wealth situations of all Americans, to make sure that all Americans have access to affordable health care, and to make sure that everyone not just black Americans, but everyone can experience the true beauty of our American experiment. People aren't trying to get out of here, Roland. They're trying to get in. I'm sorry, Robert. They're trying to get in. They're trying to get into this country. So it's a great place to be, and I want to make it even greater.
Well, on this point, as we are continually talk about the Republican primary, I think one of the places that it's going to be difficult for any of these candidates is on this issue of national security and foreign policy experience. Other than President Trump, Nikki Haley seems to have the most experience when it comes to foreign policy. However, if you look at the Biden administration's foreign policy victories thus far, it's on an almost unassailable record. His foreign policy record is much stronger than even his domestic policy record. Which Republican candidate would have the uh, best chance of actually going toe-to-toe -to -toe with President Biden on much of what has happened internationally. Well, so are you referring to the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan where President Biden left behind $87 billion in military equipment? I actually list every well, bit well, of that. Well, hold, hold on, because as you said, we're not talking over each other. One, the Afghan— Mentioned yeah, yeah, foreign policy. Yeah, yeah. I'm an Air but, Force. But, but just, I know a lot just, about foreign policy. I grew up overseas, but, and I actually can comment on this because I wrote a whole chapter under, about foreign policy in my book. So, understood, but we, we, we're talking about. When we're talking about Afghanistan, we have to talk about Mike Pompeo and the Doha agreement, the agreement with the Taliban that was struck between President Trump and the Taliban, February of 2020, where they agreed to leave and they agreed to take the military troops out first. Secondarily, all of those, uh, all of that military equipment was intended was intended for the Afghan army. That was the point of that equipment. And right now, the Taliban army is using that equipment to fight ISIS-K. They just took out and killed the uh, the perpetrator of the source of the attack at the airport. So I think it's incorrect to say that President Biden botched the withdrawal when he was simply going along the terms of President Trump's agreement with the Taliban. I'll turn it over to you. soldiers died during that withdrawal. 13 American soldiers died during that withdrawal. So that's 13 families who now do not have their family member because we pulled the military out first. So when you say that Trump and or, or uh, Pompeo signed that agreement, so anything that was signed during the Trump years, Biden has to abide by it. He rescinded all of the executive orders surrounding energy on day one. He reversed the Mexico City policy. So if he didn't think withdrawing the military first was a good idea, all President Biden had to do was reach out to the State Department or the—, the, the Those troops had already been removed in 2020. President no, Biden couldn't redeploy re the troops. There were 5,000 troops taken out and five and soldiers released from prison in Afghanistan. This is a point of public record. We can't rewrite history. Military veteran. You don't have the experience that I do serving in, on active duty in the military, nor your father or your grandfather or your great-grandfather as I do. You're not married to a veteran. You don't have generations of military service in your background. You have not sat through classified briefings, and you never uh, held a so, security So, so are, are we saying that this was not the term of the do. Doha agreement? That we're, we, we can go through biography as much as possible. Did the Doha agreement remove the U.S. troops from Afghanistan and release the Taliban soldiers into the public? It's a simple question. Did that happen? That the issue here isn't the Doha agreement or whether or not it happened. The issue is that Biden oversaw the withdrawal, 13 troops died, and we left thousands of people behind who helped us during our time in that theater of war. It was done incorrectly, and if Trump had overseen it, the left would never stop talking about it. So President Biden owns the botched withdrawal, and he definitely can't call that a foreign policy win. It was a failure that lowered our standing in the eyes of our partners around the world and will forever be seen as one of the worst military extractions in the history of military extractions ever. So, but but the, let's key back in on this point. Was this the agreement? The President Trump and Mike Pompeo 
signed with the Taliban? Did they not agree to leave that equipment with the Taliban? Did they not agree to remove the U.S. troops prior to the withdrawal of the civilians? Did they not agree to release soldiers that were killed in military prisons, Taliban fighters, before removing the civilians? Were those not the terms of the Doha agreement? I, I didn't. I, at no point during this conversation have I disagreed with you about the terms of the Doha agreement. My response I already gave to you, and you overtalked me, so maybe that's why you're asking me the same question again, because you didn't hear me when I was speaking before, because you were overtalking me. But this is under the Biden administration. It occurred on his watch. If he disagreed with the terms of the Doha agreement, he could have simply implemented a new one, as he has done on every other policy, domestic and foreign, if he disagreed with it. Thirteen troops well, well died during a terror attack because we did not have proper staging for the extraction. And that happened under the Biden administration. And blaming Trump for it as a deflection indicates weakness on the part of the support of those who support President Biden. I don't think it's a deflection to correct the record as to what actually happened. But I appreciate you joining us and speaking on this topic. I think we're going to continue to have this conversation going forward into the primary season. And I think that when it comes to these these issues of actual policy, that's a much better place to be at than some of the personality uh, conflicts that people have. I think the people need to have the actual facts of what happened. I appreciate you for joining us. Thank you so much, Stacey. Where can people find the podcast and listen to you? My radio show is on Sirius XM. We're live from 8 to 11 p.m. Central every night, north to south, east to west. And my website is stacyontheright.com. Thank you so much, Stacey Washington, Stacey on the right. Uh, for those of you who want to tune in and listen to her, we'll be back after the break. Continue talking about election 2024. You're watching Roller Murder Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Next on The Black Table with me, 
Greg Call. We look at the history of emancipation around the world, including right here in the United States, the so-called end of slavery. Trust me, it's a history lesson that bears no resemblance to what you learned in school. Professor Chris Manjapra, author, scholar, amazing teacher, joins us to talk about his latest book, Black Ghost of Empire, The Death of Slavery and the Failure of Emancipation. He explains why the end of slavery was no end at all, but instead a collection of laws and policies designed to preserve the status quo of racial oppression. The real problem is that the problems that slavery in invented have continued over time. And what reparations are really about is saying, how do we really transform society, right? And, and, and stop racial violence, which is so endemic. What we need to do about it on the next installment of The Black Table, right here on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Hood Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. Hey, I'm Arnaz J. Black TV does matter, dang it. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Stay woke. All right, welcome back. Let's bring the panel in on this discussion. Great conversation with states of Washington. I think we have to look at the Republican primary also, because as we see, we have very divergent images of history and the things that happen. And unless we're able to correct the record, well, as Mark Twain said, a lie will run around the world while the truth is put on his pants. The reason we know that, because Mark Twain never said that. Going to Dr. Dubinga, Dr. Dubinga, what was your takeaway for this conversation about what some of the Republican talking points are going to be for 2020? I felt that it was full of lies. I think she straight up lied throughout both segments. And I feel like really at the end of the day, she really represented what the Republican strategy is going to be. Deflect, deflect, deflect. And when you get challenged, just say things like, oh, you're talking over me, not letting me finish. I thought it was ignorant and disrespectful to come out with this whole thing about I've been in the military. I've seen briefings. My father, who cares about where her father, grandfather, whoever has been centuries in the past or, or decades in the past. That was ridiculous. Furthermore, she's lying about the economy. She wasn't being straight up. If you're going to say that Trump was doing fine before, before COVID hit, why aren't you going to talk about how inflation was on the rise as a part of what happened with COVID? If you're going to say that Donald Trump brought down unemployment, why aren't you going to look at the fact that the Obama-Biden administration had brought down the large, you know, reduced the gap in terms of the, the, the space between uh, unemployment to the lowest levels and, and gave Trump the economy that, that he came and basically tried to continue, which he still messed up. Why not talk about the fact of the uh, economy that Trump inherited versus the economy that Biden inherited? Why not talk about the fact she mentioned something about we want the government out of people's private lives, but at the same time, they're trying to put politicians and senators into doctor's offices and women are trying to have abortions in these, in the, in these states where they're being told that, you know, literally women have to be told to go out into the driveway and wait till they're about to die before they can get care. That sounds like an invasion of people's private lives. She wants to talk about freedom. This is a man under Trump who banned uh, diversity hearings way before Ron DeSantis and all of these other guys were doing book bans. So really, at the end of the day, what she's talking about is nonsense. She's excusing 
everything that happened under Trump, really at the end of the day, and saying that it was something that happened from a prior administration and everything that Biden is doing. I mean, come on, we talk about the deficit. You hit that. That was on, on point. What about the military soldiers that died under Trump and, and the funerals that he never attended? Oh, and by the way, should we also not just, you know, mention the fact that Trump tried to overthrow the country with an insurrection <laughs> and is actively indicted under some of these things relating to that, and he's supposed to be the president for black America. Ron DeSantis is supposed to be America's governor. She lied throughout the entire segment, and it was completely ridiculous, and it needed to be called out at every single level. Uh, Dr. Malvo, I, I want to uh, turn to you because uh, it seems to me that these are uh, questions that we don't often see in cable news, forcing people to, to articulate, well, the, uh, uh, what exactly do you mean? When you say President uh, Biden is wrong on Afghanistan, well, this is Trump's policy. When you say President Biden is wrong on the economy, well, these are what Trump's policies were. Well, how can we have more productive conversations in the National Square? Because often these folk tales that we hear from the other side of the aisle end up running wild before we can have to get the truth uh, out there for the American people, and unfortunately, there's about a third of the uh, third of America that will buy those things lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. You know, I have never seen anyone so more more amusingly myopic. I mean, if I was if I was cracking up. I literally was sitting here just laughing. One of my assistants said, "What are you laughing about, Doc? Aren't you unrolling?" I'm like, "No, I'm watching and I'm laughing." She was hilarious because, not just because of the distortions, but because of her lack of knowledge. And then the arrogance to say, well, you've never been in the military. It doesn't matter whether you've been in the military or not, or whether your grandfather. That was, as I agree with Obakongo, that was just absurd. But let's just deal with a few facts. Um, I don't know what Republican is going to deal properly with the issue of global warming and climate change. Uh, much of Biden's energy policy has to be about responsibly turning our Earth to the next generation. Uh, uh, 45 um, basically didn't care about that and acted as if it was a myth. His whole administration, Department of Energy, he deliberately tried to disempower people who were looking at our planet. So, and she kept coming back to energy. The other thing she kept coming back to that was really kind of uh, myopic was the whole notion of the regulatory burden. Well, here's a regulatory burden. You, you outlaw abortion in how many states? That's a regulatory burden. How many people are dying because they cannot get the kind of health care they need? She's talking about 13 military people who died, and that, of course, any military death is a tragedy. But let's talk about what we're doing to women and children with a debt ceiling killing people killing people. The so-called regulatory burden is what, um, you know, eight states have now passed laws to make it legal for children, children to work in Alabama. They have 12- and 13-year-olds working eight hours a day. Child labor laws were what protected uh, children. And this woman, the regulatory burden, would she just have the so-called free market uh, do whatever it wants to? They jump in to regulate when they feel like it, when it benefits them. That's when they want to regulate. When it does not benefit them, when it oppresses people, then all of a sudden, oh, gee, there's too much regulation. That number that she came up with, $14,000 per family, I'd like to see the math. On the other hand, I wouldn't because I want to see math. I don't want to see a comic book, which is likely to be what we're going to get from there. The whole black unemployment it became is lower now than it was under the previous president. Black women actually 
just experienced um, the fewer unemployed black women. Now, I could talk to you about the numbers and what's wrong with those numbers, but using the same measures that we used throughout, fewer unemployed black women today than there were, than there have been in the past, like, decade. So I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out on Friday. But she conveniently did not mention that fact, because, of course, that was, guess what, a fact. And uh, I mean, I just I don't even know why, uh, Robert. Um, I, I, you you handle her well, um, but I don't know why we have this um, comedian uh, masquerading as a Republican analyst. Why we even have? What did we get out of that? Um, well, well, I, don't, I didn't get anything out of it. I mean, I just no. I I got I got a lesson. So my diaphragm is in pretty good shape because I laugh for about five straight minutes and that's what's good for your, your you know, for your glutes. So, you know, well, well, I Dr. enjoy that. <laughs> well, oh, Dr. Ramphal, I, I think it's crucial for us uh, to hear all sides, to have discussions, give people the opportunity in a fair space uh, to discuss the issues they want to discuss and leave it to the viewers to determine what they take from it. So I think we present all sides uh, and allow the viewers to take from that as well. I do want to correct the record real quick uh, for, uh, however, uh, my sister, my older sister, Helene Patillo, uh, guarded convoys from Iraq to Afghanistan, or from Baghdad uh, to Kuwait City in the Iraq War. My eldest sister, uh, Michelle Patillo, uh, was a Marine for 20 years. My cousin, Shabika, was in the Navy for 20-plus years. My brother-in-law, uh, A.D. Adelakun, is, you know, a, a drill instructor in the U.S. United States military. Oh, I can go down the list, but this idea that Republicans somehow hold the reins on national security and liberals are just sitting around drinking lattes and driving electric cars while they defend the country, uh, that's very much antithetical to the reality of what is going on. And I think that that is a, a, a specious, uh, at best, presumption to go off of. Uh, uh, Brianna, what, what was your takeaway? Do you think the Republicans are going to be able to put together a message to actually appeal to African-Americans? Because they always say, well, leave the Democratic plantation. It's like, okay, I'm not just leaving the plantation to go nowhere. Where, where are we headed to? You know, do, or do they have a pathway forward? Do you think will attract black voters? I don't see it, um, but I was never one of the uh, swing votes that would be needed. Uh, like I said, I watched the... Um, Tim Scott commercial, Trump just had a commercial, uh, it, it, it doesn't resonate with me. Um, actually, it seems like it was anti-Black, especially coming from Scott with the cannons and saying, uh, you know, it's all America, instead of concentrating on what we're talking about and being okay with saying Black America. We can talk about all America, but we can also talk about Black America. And so separating that uh, constantly. Uh, bothers me. So personally, no. Um, to go into the swing vote, I think there are several issues with it. One, you know, we're talking about Afghanistan, but let's admit it. It's Republicans who put us in problem in Afghanistan in the first place. As you said, Trump said that we were going to withdraw, and then Biden got stuck with it. And so I, I think it's unfair uh, characteristics of Democrats continuously trying to clean up the Republicans' problems. And so the first two years of even Biden is stuff that had to deal with Trump. Obama was the king of cleaning up uh, problems. I think about, you know, the, the economy crashing and the home crisis. And so every single time, you know, we talk about the Republicans being conservative with money, but the debt ceilings increase, 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 just like you said, the, the 
credit card gets run up, and then the Democrats have to solve it. Uh, she also mentioned about uh, the IRS, right? Of course, Trump is not going to increase IRS or anything else that we need to to compensate for for what happened in COVID or the extra checks that we created because he hasn't even paid his taxes, right? And so we see this over and over again. If we talk about uh, what they're doing on the other side, they haven't proposed anybody that I feel um, would actually be sound within Black America. And you know, correct the regulatory. It just depends on what they want to regulate. We see that with uh, DeSantis over and over again, right? We can say, oh, people, uh, when he was running for governor again, oh, they loved him because they did, he blocked LGBT issues in school. And then you talk to those same people, and now they're upset because of Disney. It just, it's very incongruent. And so, I mean, I think that um, you won't see any logical uh answer, right? If you're trying to see why they would go to one side or not, or who they're going to pick, it's not going to be logical. It might be a little here, a little there, but not over. I, I think re I think Republicans are going to have to get a lot better talking points between now and the primary, uh, because at the same time, President Trump is running commercials about Ron DeSantis eating pudding with his fingers. Uh, Joe Biden is taking nuclear submarines to South Korea in order to uh, to stop the proliferation of nuclear weapons in the Korean Peninsula. While the, Ron DeSantis is suing Disney, President Biden is putting bases in the Philippines. It, it's, it's a serious candidate versus non-serious candidates. And I think that's why it's difficult to have messages to kind of get around the unseriousness of, you know, uh, we're, this is where woke goes to die. This is the anti-woke agenda. People care about national security and money, and I don't care about your fight with Disney World. Uh, we're going to uh, keep this conversation going after the break. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. When you talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, we're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause to long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in Black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Checks and money orders go to PO Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037- Zero one nine six. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me. Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Hey, I'm Cupid, the mega the Cupid. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Shuffle and the wham dance. What's going on? This is Tobias Trevelyan. And if you're ready, you are listening to and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, welcome back. And in case you guys are wondering, that Donald Trump commercial about Ron DeSantis eating pudding with his fingers, that is a real commercial. I'm not making that up. That is not hyperbole. That is literally what he is campaigning on right now. Just look it up. It's hilarious. Uh, but joining me now, uh, we've got to talk about some positive things going on in the community. My next guest says he is on a mission to help children with special needs feel confident and comfortable by offering them free haircuts. It wasn't until Cincinnati's Vernon Jackson met a frightened young boy with autism who was afraid to get his haircut that he realized there was a need for his services. Uh, let's look at how Jackson makes kids, kids feel safe in his barber chair. Saying what you want to say, yeah. but I'm not feeling it. No, I'm not feeling it on the inside. Oh, no. <laughs> say hi to everybody. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Good to see you again. You went there? Yeah. Here we go. 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 You did an awesome job, man. I'm so proud of you. Hey, stop. Stop? Yes. Stop? Okay. I'm going to go. All right, ready to go? Hey, one. Okay. This one? Here we go. Here you go, buddy. Here we go. 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 <laughs> you, you say go. 
That is outstanding. Joining me from Cincinnati, Ohio, is Vernon Jackson, <laughs> the owner of Noble Bar Barber and Beauty. Uh, Mr. Jackson, thank you so much for joining us tonight. What inspired you to do this? Well, you know, um, what happened was I had clients that were coming in doing my regular schedule who did not have or did not specify that their children had different needs. And I wanted to create a space in a time where I was able to fully take care of those clients. And so what ended up happening was I chose one of my um, Mondays off, which is I do it. I started doing it every third Monday and I started doing haircuts uh, for it was started off as being at a discounted rate. So I wanted them to have enough time. So I, I scheduled out 30 minutes per client and it just went from there. People just started, you know, sharing a lot of love and wanted to sponsor haircuts which then trans, uh, transferred to the haircuts being free because the community wanted to support. And so what has been the community response to the, as a child, I uh, found out later on in life, I was on the autism spectrum. Uh, that wasn't really a thing in the eighties. It's called you bad or weird. Uh, but yeah. what has been the, com the community's response to having someone like this, who's able to uh, kind of connect with these young men to uh, help calm them. Uh, my experience was a little bit different. Just my mom there for switch, tell me to sit down and shut up. I, that was a little bit traumatic. How has the community mm -hmm. responded to you having this more gentle approach and really helping them have that confidence and understanding to be able to sit down, sit still, and uh, kind of uh, go through this process? Well, let me tell you, the community has been behind this thing 100%, both in person and online, with their donations, with their support messages. And you come to find out that so many people resonate with the story because they had, because someone, you, we all know someone in our family that has a different need. And what I love about the videos that I post and about the experiences that I share is that it's, that they're humanizing the experience of, of people with different needs. So much so that even my event, when we calling it the gifted event, parents are booking their child, um, or when they book their child and they reach out to me, they say, or even or even when they are inboxed me on social media, they say, hey, my child is gifted, how can I book? Or when I see someone out like, yo, um, your videos gave me a different perspective on being more patient around uh, kids with autism or whatnot. This has been a beautiful experience all the way around. So the, the public has been, and the community has been behind us 100%. Absolutely. I want to bring our panel in. Dr. Dabinga, did you have a question? Well, first of all, I want to commend you on, on the work that you're doing. It, it's truly important as it relates to our young people. I, I wanted to ask you, as an educator, I see that there are so many challenges with students who may come to school and may not have the nicest haircut or the nicest clothes and the stigma that may get attached to that, but these are things they just don't have access to. Can you talk about some of the challenges that you've seen as it relates to the population that you're working with of young people who may feel disheveled or, or, or dismayed because they can't, are they haven't been able to get that fresh haircut and have themselves look in the way that they want to look, even at a young age, I'm assuming it's, it's been a problem for them, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I'm glad you uh, brought that up. Because a lot, you know, one of the, the driving forces that propels me in doing this is a lot of the children that come to me, they hadn't had a haircut in months. Um, and, wow. and some maybe in a year or so in a professional setting because their experience inside a barbershop or a salon, because, you know, 
let's let's face it. The reality is, you know, we all have a unique way that we need to be loved. And uh, my gifted children, they just require a different um, level of of being intentional. And everyone isn't going to get that. And so, you know, a lot a lot of the stories that I hear, I'm 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 like their their um, they get to the experience if they if they last like well I try every place else. I've seen this guy on TikTok. Let me go see, you know, how he does it. And, you know, it's a, a beautiful thing when, when I, I'm not exaggerating. One of the, the, the most common responses is, my child has never sat this still in a chair. <laughs> like the parents mm-hmm. come in on edge because they're used to, um, you know, running like, even the video with Ellison, the young the, the young man, the seven year old kid that I that we went viral together, like she was his mom was on edge because they they've always left out in tears, sweaty, everyone is upset. So it's so it's really been one of those experiences where I'm able to again give the experience that these families long to experience and making a, a challenge that they had experienced before, not so much, even in a way that I wouldn't allow them to apologize for what their child is doing inside of, you know, like, no, like, this is not the place for you to apologize any further. You're, you're, you're welcome here. Dr. Malvo. First of all, thank you so very much for your work. Autistic uh, young people, I think, are all too often woefully uh, misunderstood. My dear friend, Ariva Martin, has started an organization called a Special Needs Network, where they mm. basically raise funds and do things to provide support for autistic children and their families. And I want to underline the families part, which your patience is just really so important because the families have to be sometimes very frustrated with a child that won't be still, that, you know, basically is marching to a, the beat of a different drummer. What mm-hmm. do you actually do to both, both calm the child and assure the parent that they're going to be okay? Mm-hmm. And that's a great question. One of my favorite things to do is I just, I see them for where they are and I allow them to be where they are as a human being. And I don't push them to how I want them to act, which is one of the things I talk to parents about as well, is that we're not here to force them and to make them into what we want them to be. That's where we become frustrated with the experience. Because what we're doing is we're trying to make them into something that they don't have the capacity for. So when I so when I'm cutting their hair, I move with them. I move around them. I am, you know, when they turn, I, I turn. If they turn, so if I'm doing a, a even haircut, if I'm doing one area and, they, and the and the child moves the opposite direction, I'm going to cut the part of the hair that they that they give me. So you know, I, it's, it's it's more than just. It became more than me. Cutting, cutting hair. It also became something that I was, I was speaking life into the parents to know, like yo, like this is a beautiful, like you're in a beautiful, in a beautiful experience. You're doing amazing. You're doing the best that you can. And you're not doing it by yourself. I'm glad to be part of your community in doing so. Hmm. We've got about a minute left. Brianna, did you have a question? Okay, I think we lost Bria. Uh, so this is outstanding. We would love to see this replicated around the country. How can people sure. find out more about you? How can they follow you on social media? Uh, you know, how can barbers out there who are seeing this uh, uh, recreate this in other urban areas? 
You know, right now, um, my social media on TikTok and on Instagram is the best, the number one in the word period. And in my bio, you can definitely um, see all my information, um, both the barbershop and we get it. And also the book of Gifted Haircut you can visit the giftedevent.com. And right now I'm looking, you know, uh, when it comes to partnerships, I want to travel around the country to be able to work in shops to replicate and to work with barbers and shops to kind of give them a, a, a lesson or just, you know, work with doing haircuts with them so they can see how it is that I'm doing. At one point in time, I was even looking, me and my friend who's, um, who's in Houston, her name is um, Angelica. She does what I do in Houston. She's amazing as well. And we want to be able to travel around and do this thing. And so whatever partnership that we, that, that opens up, we are definitely going to um, invest that energy in doing so. But right now, I've been creating an infrastructure that supports that vision so that way it doesn't fall to the, to the wayside. It's not just another viral video. Um, and we are I'm definitely intentional about taking this thing to the next level. So, right, so to answer, fully answer your question, it's, it's, being, it's being built. Well, we really appreciate everything that you're doing. Uh, I want people to remember, stop calling little black boys bad. Stop calling little black boys managed. Understand that yes. we have the same social, emotional issues as everyone else. Black boys have ADHD. Black boys have autism. Treat them with care and compassion. And maybe you grow up and raise caring and compassionate kids. If you teach them that their emotions result in them getting beat all the time, then you grow up with angry and emotional and violent children. And, and so the actions of people like Mr. Jack are what's needed to bring up a generation of more gentle and compassionate young black boys that we want to have going forward. Thank you so much, Mr. Jetson, for everything that you're doing. I want to thank our panel today, Dr. Julianne Malvo, Dr. Dubinka, uh, Brianna Cartwright, who had to leave us. Thank you to Roland for letting me keep his seat warm. I'm sure he is enjoying nine or 16. I've never played golf, so I don't know how many holes you hit. Uh, 16, 20 holes, however many it is. Hopefully he's having a good time out there. Uh, and, uh, follow me on all social media at Robert Patillo. See the people passing politics Sunday. Um, News and Talk 1380 WAOK. And as I say, they never the words skills got here, no matter the consequences of the future. You've got to hold on to your dreams. Hold on to your dreams, America. Holla! Folks, Black Star Network is here. Hold no punches! I'm real uh, revolutionary right now. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. I thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. Hey, Black, I love y'all. All momentum we have now. We have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be skate. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Pull up a chair. Take your seat. The Black Tape. With me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network, every week. We'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Hood Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me. 
Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and my new show, Get Wealthy, focuses on the things that your financial advisor and bank isn't telling you, but you absolutely need to know. So watch Get Wealthy on the Black Star Network. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.